Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Is that a thing or are you joking? <laughs> no, there's, I think it's I think it's uh, the Rule 230 or whatever it is that it exempts um, Internet. It was in 96 and it exempts Internet companies from being responsible for the content that is on their sites or something like that. Anyways, it's it's back up in front of the Supreme Court. So um, the I think the ruling is I don't know when the ruling is going to come out, but I know that there's people that are concerned that that particular law is going to change. Yeah. It's one of those, like, well, it's, it's one, one of those things. Like if they're, if they're tinkering with the content, right, then they're actually, now they're a publisher because now they're curating what people see. Right. Yeah. But the, the law was, the law was enacted in 96. It's, it's like, you know, it's like with any, any, um, new technology typically the laws are very uh, lenient towards that technology to try to encourage its growth and then the regulation and the laws take a long time to um, uh, to react to whatever that that growth uh, spectrum is so you know, this is kind of typical you know same thing happened with telecom same thing happened with this is just kind of typical kind of response so it takes a while for this stuff to work its way through the system yeah, at the risk of uh, dating myself and not being a lawyer, so this is neither legal advice nor necessarily accurately remembered, but that, that rule came into being at a time when the internet couldn't really be entirely surveilled. So if you offered a service, you weren't responsible for how people use that service, because how could you be? Um, but I think in the layer of two bad steps, we, we now have all these data warehousing, supercomputing, artificial intelligence, constant surveillance algorithms. And so the case could be made, and we certainly saw it with Twitter's uh, fact-checking algorithm, that you can and should monitor everything that is said on your platform and intervene in it and report it and, and deal with it. And so this whole notion between what was behind in principle behind Section 230, which was freedom of speech, and you're not responsible for providing a platform for speech, to, well, there isn't freedom of speech, and everyone has to keep an eye on everybody else to make sure that they aren't violating the limits on free speech. That's a scary precedent. And yeah. we're already we're already one foot in the water, right? Already everything's being monitored by multiple surveillance technologies, some just to target advertising at you, some to check compliance, some for unknown purposes. They haven't figured out why they're doing it yet, but they're doing it just in case. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, let's let's do this. Let's enter the show. 
super excited today. We're doing macro strategy with the with the boys. The boys are back in town. Jacob, we should we should have that song ready to play every damn time we do macro strategy. Why aren't we doing that? That that should be a thing. Uh, I want to introduce Lawrence Lepard. These guys need no freaking introduction. Everybody knows who they are. But we're doing it anyway. Lawrence Lepard, Greg Foss, James Lavish, Dr. Jeff Ross. Once a month, we do macro strategy. My opinion, these are some of the smartest guys in the space. I love listening to them. They have a depth of wisdom. They've been around for a little while. Didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday. So uh, excited to go with that. All on Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day. Um, this is just really quickly here. We're on episode 288. I'm going to, I'm going to say one thing and then we can dive into macro. Cause that's really what we're here for. Uh, and that is some really creepy like things I saw in the news or on Twitter and in the news that just to me are, are markers that like this society, uh, in the West is, and I don't, Everybody knows this. I mean, I don't need to tell anybody this. I'm not like saying anything that people don't already know, but these are just markers to me. So uh, Jim Rickards tweeted out, he goes, get ready for a new generation of legal incompetence. I quit the American Bar Association early in my career when it became clear it was another left-wing front organization abandoning quality as the logical end game. This is not about politics. I'm saying this to, to express to you the pattern of what's happening here. This, this, um, he's referencing an article from the Daily Caller where it says law schools may be ditching standardized testing in order to boost diversity. It's that's like wow, crazy. And then, so that's one institution, the legal profession and, and the justice system, all that. Then, also within 24 hours, same thing basically, U.S. medical system is collapsing. This is a tweet from a guy, uh, called. John City Square or something like that. Because University of Michigan, or I'm sorry, Minnesota medical students are swearing an oath to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine and to fight white supremacy, colonialism, and the gender binary. Like this stuff is completely off the hook. I'm not saying this because I'm, I mean, I'm, I just, I guess I had to get this off my chest. This is just crazy stuff. And I feel like, we're watching Rome burn and you know, Rome continued as the Byzantine empire for over a thousand years by changing the money. I mean, obviously that's not the only thing they did, but they moved the capital and they changed the money and the Roman empire basically part two continued for another thousand years after that because they went back to an honest money. I don't know if that's the only fix to the problem, but I look at Bitcoin as like the path forward. Anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. Welcome up, guys. Larry, Greg, Dr. Jeff, James Lavish. Good morning to you guys. Thanks for hanging out. Good morning, Alex. Alex. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here, my man. Yeah, good morning, Alex. Morning. All right, let's go. Uh, do you guys want to make... Any comments on what I said? You don't have to. I'm not requiring it. It's just something that's just bugging the crap out of me. I'd like to hear your thoughts. And then we can dive into whatever you guys want. And by the way, Lawrence, you've got quite a bit of feedback, so you might want to mute when you're not talking. Okay. I mean, I'll just... Boomer. Yeah, I'm getting an echo here, too. But, um, hey, so 
to 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 respond, Alex, to the to your headlines. Like I think these are all kind of um, you know end days for the Keynesian economic experiment, right? We it's just every day we we fall more and more into this clown world concept. And whether you're sort of a believer in the fourth turning, or you think back to the you know the the Roman Empire burning or whatever, I mean those are I think those are very appropriate um, uh, analogies. And I think that. Uh, we're sort of coming due for a hard reset culturally, and whether whether or not that's just uh, simply Bitcoin can be sort of a peaceful revolution, or we actually enter into a kinetic war that, like World War II, that basically changed the face of the planet and the entire geopolitical system. Uh, I, I could see any of those things happening. I certainly hope we don't go into a big major kinetic war, obviously. And uh, but could we sort of branch off as Bitcoin? Could Bitcoin create this sort of new society uh, similar to the Byzantine Empire while the Western uh, Roman Empire collapses? Um, sure, that's possible. It, it, you know, we're humans. We, we're going to decide our fate. Uh, uh, whoever, you know, whoever the leaders uh, are, and and what the people do in response to the leaders' decisions, um, I think are very extremely paramount. And this decade, I think everything kind of comes to a head. So, obviously, I think all of us are hoping for a peaceful solution, and I think Bitcoin can provide that. Um, but whether or not the world leaders are on board with that, I think is another story. All right. Um, let's do the thing where we go around and get your guys' uh, views. Like, what's the most important thing on your radar, so to speak? Uh, I know it's multiple things for you guys, but why don't we just go around, hit each one of you guys with that. You can hit, you can talk about whatever it is you want that you think is most important that's happening. You're all welcome, obviously, to provide feedback on, on that and comment, and we'll just go around. James, do you want to start? Sure, man. So um, the most important things, well, as we've talked about ad nauseum the, in recent sessions, everybody seems to be focused on the Fed. And we've got this perverse thing going on in the market where uh, if we have uh, economic activity that is positive, then the market sells off. If we have economic activity that is negative, the market rallies. Why? Because everybody's waiting for the Fed pivot. We all know it's coming. Uh, we don't know when. And just to uh, define that, because it, it, it gets confusing, I define a pivot, just like uh, Dr. Ross has said before, as the Fed actually um, adding liquidity to the markets through QE or lowering rates. A pause is not a pivot. When they stop raising rates, it's not a pivot. They're just waiting. And, that, and if you're above what we call the neutral rate, on the, on the Fed funds rate, which is a tightening rate, which means that it slows down economic activity in, in the estimates of uh, the Fed, which we all know have been extraordinarily uh, and wildly wrong uh, for the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, we're, everybody's waiting for that. So we're watching economic activity and we're trying to judge what the what the Fed is going to do. Well, remember, the Fed's looking in the rearview mirror as they make these adjustments and as they make their policy decisions. So everything we see happening in the economy now is a result of uh, Fed's uh, tightening or uh, raising rates in the last number of months. It's not from what happened last week. So uh, and that all that data lags. And so this morning we just saw that GDP came in a little bit 
lighter than than expected and uh, and was revised downward in the last quarter. So this is a, this is the result of the the Fed tightening in previous months. Now, what does the what does the market do? It rallies off of that. Why? Because everybody thinks we're going to have a pivot. And that means that, well, economic activity is coming down so the Fed can stop raising rates. Well, the problem is we're, you know, the, we're, we're not going to stop raising rates because this economic activity is not low enough. The inflation is not low enough, according to what the Fed is saying. And uh, they're going to continue to either raise rates by 20, 25 or even as much as 50 if we have some terrible numbers come in in the next month. Um, but I think they're going to continue raising another 25 basis points, maybe another 25 basis points in May. We'll see what happens. But I think the market's trying to time this and it, it, it's uh, it's gotten off sides a couple of times. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'll weigh in next. Um, I agree with everything James said. A um, couple of interesting things since our last conversation that we've noticed. One, uh, Preston had a great chart that he put up on Nostra. He didn't put it on Twitter, which is an argument for everybody going over to Nostra, that shows that Global M2 is back at an all-time high. And so it's interesting to note that while the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, um, uh, Japan and China have made up the difference. And, um, you know, there's, there's actually some argument that they're kind of doing a daisy chain print. I mean, we all know that they can't decrease the overall money supply without croaking the system. And so I'm quite sure the central banks have all coordinated in some way. And so it's like, all right, well, we'll stop printing. You print now. Um, so I, I, I thought that was interesting. And the other interesting thing I've seen recently is that inflation, um, I would have expected some better inflation prints. And it seems like inflation is going to be more persistent and last longer than people thought. And that could always change. But that's certainly the data we've seen recently. We saw new car prices were going up. As a result of that, um, you know, the Fed's probably going to, I mean, I, I think the market's in the process of adjusting to the fact that the terminal rate, the, the, how high they have to go is going to get adjusted up. And you can see that if you look at the CME uh, estimator of, of what the, the rate is. I mean, it used to be, a lot of people were saying the terminal rate was 475 or 5, and now it looks like it's, it's significantly higher, perhaps five and a quarter, five fifty. And um, from what I can tell, I don't think the market can handle it. I don't think the economy can handle those higher rates. And we're getting a bounce today in the stock market, but we had a rough couple of days. And my sense is the next leg down in the stock market is just about to begin. Um, and I actually think that this will be this could be one of those legs where the hard money assets separate. From the stock market that, that the liquidity coming out of the stock market actually goes into the hard money assets because people are going to begin to realize that um you know the recession and and downturn is going to be serious and that brings forward the day when they have to pivot but right now as james said you know they're not pivoting and um you know so it's a lot of confusion out there i mean i i think Stanley Druckenmiller said it very well. You know, he said, this is the toughest macro environment I've ever seen in 40 plus years of investing and uh, for 50 plus years probably for him. And, and I think he's right. I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult. You got to know what you own. You got to know why you own it. I think there's another point to be made that's important. And that is that, you know, people think that raising rates is going to decrease inflation, but there's been an argument and it's a good one that says that arguably raising rates could increase inflation because those costs get pushed through in a lot of other places and people have to raise prices to compensate for the fact they're paying higher interest. And, you know, if, if, 
part of the inflation problem is the supply problem. You know, the way you generate more supply is you add more capacity. Well, the way you add more capacity is you make capital investments. Well, when capital investments cost you more because your cost of capital is a lot higher, you're not going to make those investments. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but my sense is we're, you know, months, not not years, but months, short months away from the stuff starting to go in our direction in a big way because the market will smell the Fed pivot long before it pivots. I mean, it uh, it always does. It always has. So that's kind of how I see it right now. Hey, Jeff, why don't you go and talk about your uh, excellent uh, analysis on liquidity that you brought up with Arch? Hey, sure. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, again, I agree again with with what, with what people are saying here, except I, I probably lean a little more bullish uh, than than uh, Larry and James so far. Um, you know, I've been a big proponent of, of looking at this net liquidity function. And, and so a couple of things I want to make clear, um, you know, First of all, I, I use September 30th as kind of the date where everything changed. Um, um, and so and that's been true. But s since February, things have changed a little bit and a little bit more bearishly. So what do I mean by that? So so since uh, September 30th, if you use a regression analysis, uh, basically averaging the prices uh, and averaging net liquidity, you can you can actually do this on TradingView and some other protocols. Somebody actually gave me a, a great uh, cheat sheet for that, so it's it's been fun to watch in real time. But net liquidity since September 30th, on average, is actually trending almost perfectly sideways. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And another thing that's interesting to me is it, it we had a short term peak on January 24th. Uh, and since then, it's basically been straight down in the U.S. for liquidity. This is the U.S., mind you, not worldwide, because worldwide it's still it's still heading higher. In the U.S., it it peaked on January 24th. Interestingly, about a week and a half later, risk assets peaked. I, I remember it clearly because because everything was going bananas on Thursday, February 2nd. For anybody who pays attention to the equities markets, and it has basically been straight down since then. What's going to happen from here? I mean, I tend to think that risk assets themselves are a bit oversold in the short term. I think, uh, you know, just things, all things being equal, it's likely that net liquidity starts to increase again here in the U.S. Uh, in March and April. You know, historically, these six months are, are, are very positive. The third year of the presidential cycle, all that kind of stuff, it happens to line up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a bit of a rally again in risk assets starting in March uh, and heading in and through the spring, uh, maybe heading towards summer. But again, we'll see. This is all just conjecture. Net liquidity, I would say, to Greg's point, is super important. I think most people don't think about it, although more and more I'm seeing people talk about it. So I think it's really starting to catch on. By the way, I like to give uh, kudos to the people who taught me about it. Um, Lynn Alden and Darius Dale were two of the biggest uh, who I learned from. So, so kudos to them. Um, but more and more people are talking about it. I think as more and more people start to understand this concept of liquidity flows, more people pay attention to it. So the markets start to front run it more and more as well. That can be good and bad, right? Like after a while, the, the, the utility of it doesn't work as well if more and more people know about it because then people front run it and that kind of takes the efficacy away from it. So uh, in general, I would say I think that rates look a little uh, like they've, they've basically fully absorbed the fact that inflation is sticking around. It's a little uh, higher uh, than we want it to be. I think the two year and 10 years, you can see they've they've increased by like, what, 60 and 50 bips uh, throughout February. So basically, they've absorbed the fact that the Fed is going to hike and probably hike all the way up to five and a half percent before they stop. 
Um, I think at some point, whenever markets, uh, whenever the uh, bond rates stop rising, and I think we might be at that point right around now in the near term, um, that's again when markets will start talking about this Fed pause rally. They'll start front running that idea and risk assets, which have gotten hammered uh, throughout all of 2022, but then got hammered in again in February. I think they start to catch a bit again because they're going to be excited that the Fed is going to pause. Mind you, one last thing, and then I'll stop, sorry, uh, is that um, we still have this probable recessionary bear market ahead of us. So I still think it's okay to be bullish, but I always like to caveat that with bullish for now. Uh, there is the likelihood that we do spiral like a late 2008, early 2009 uh, basically floor dropping out moment where risk assets just get absolutely pummeled. Um, that can suck down everything, including Bitcoin, although I think Bitcoin is going to outperform to Larry's point. I think we are seeing a real decoupling. And my final thought on that, why are we seeing a decoupling? Because Bitcoin isn't a company, right? It doesn't have cash flows. You don't have to discount your future cash flows because of these high interest rates. You do have to discount future cash flows for growth uh, and innovation companies. So they tend to get hammered when interest rates are high. Bitcoin shouldn't get hammered because it's not a company. So uh, thanks for having me up today. All right. So uh, we have two bears and one 2022 bear that's now a bit of a bull. I'm not going to call you a bull, Dr. Jeff, but uh, you're, you're not quite as bearish as uh, the other two guys. Um, I, I want to just expand a little bit on two things that I've learned. I didn't see Preston's global M2 chart, but that uh, is very interesting. Larry, thanks for that. So global M2 is at an all-time high. And what Jeff talks about, Dr. Jeff, is a uh, liquidity measure that's basically your T Treasury General account plus your reverse repos uh, indicating uh, liquidity in the United States markets that uh, increased since September 30th. So while it's been uh, restricted of late a little bit since the end of January, Jeff points out global M2 is at, is at all-time highs. And I think that's what you need to look at. That being said, I have no clue where markets are going. Uh, I think that's pretty uh, fair assessment of markets themselves as well. If we listen to Stanley Druckenmiller, um, you have to hedge against various outcomes. And one of the things I like to, uh, to think about is uh, Jeff's uh, excellent point. You know, Bitcoin is being traded as a risk asset and that hopefully changes someday. Certainly in my mind, it, it should. Uh, but one of the things that happens is everything else being equal, when interest rates rise, and I'm not talking about a particular country, I'm talking about anything, whether you're a consumer, whether you're a corporation, whether you're a country, when interest rates rise, everything else being equal, the probability of default increases. Okay, it's that simple. Why? Because your interest expense increases. And if your cash flows have not increased, but your interest expense has, probability of default increases, very simply. So I like Jeff's analysis about why Bitcoin may decouple from uh, other risk assets that are sensitive to treasury rates. Because as you know, and not everyone has to believe me, I think of Bitcoin as being default insurance on a basket of fiats. Not to say that any particular fiat is in imminent uh, risk is at imminent risk of default. Certainly not the USA, although CDS on the USA does not trade at zero, which means there are people out there that pay for protection. Pay for protection on the possibility of default of the USA. It's minuscule, but it is not zero. 
It's minuscule and it's increasing, but it is not zero. So understand that if you think in Luke Roman's words that Bitcoin is CDS for the people, that's a brilliant line from Luke Roman. If Bitcoin is CDS for the people, then maybe some people are finally getting the understanding that Bitcoin can be used as insurance against defaulting fiats around the world, including Canada, not 100% certain, not even close to being 100% certain, but certainly greater than zero in Canada. And you can line that up with any country in the world. So maybe to shift gears a little bit here, one thing that hasn't been mentioned that I'm seeing in the mainstream media, talk of changing the inflation target to make the Fed's job easier. Well, that's a bit of a subjective uh, analysis. I'm not saying that it's coming, but I've anticipated this for a little while now. Just understand how damaging it is if you increase an inflation target from 2% to, let's say, 3 or maybe even as high as 4%. Your purchasing power is reduced um, asymmetrically. And that is something that I'm seeing in the, in the, in the um, uh, narratives. So the other three guys haven't, uh, haven't pointed that out. I think we should be prepared for that. And then some other stuff that concerns me. More talk of war. War solves or doesn't always solve, but war is a solution for crashing fiat currencies. We know this. It's a historical fact. I, God, I hope, or gosh, I hope I'm not correct or the, the people that are bringing this up are not correct. Armstrong economics in particular. But you can't argue. So here's some positive things. Um, specifically with the Bitcoin macro landscape. I've seen two amazing publications, books that have just been published within the last uh, 30 days. Uh, certainly, and I don't want to bring this up, but I have to give a shout out to Jason Lowry's thesis from MIT, which was published. Love him or hate him, you got to understand that this is making the rounds of uh, various departments within government as well as all sorts of uh, readers. Uh, this is not promoting the book by any means. I'm just telling you that people are reading it. And then just today, there's a dean of a law school in the Philippines. The dean published a book. Uh, he did give a shout out to a number of the uh, Bitcoiners, and I was one of them, so I'm flattered. But uh, looking at the chapters, there was a beautiful chapter, the title, number chapter 13, you can't print energy, his words, not mine. Anyway, his name is Florin Hilbay, H-I-L-B-A-Y. He's from the Philippines and he's dean of a law school and he wants to put this book in the education system in the Philippines. So here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing adoption. I'm seeing uh, more people becoming orange-pilled in various ways. The education on this is healthy. It's back and forth. I notice uh, Joe Carlosari is in the audience, and he doesn't particularly believe in my thesis on credit default swaps, and that's fine. That's what makes a market, buyers and sellers. I am just saying that this is gaining traction in the educational systems in various ways, Looking Glass Education, the platform I'm involved in, has just signed a pretty material deal that soon will be public. 
All of this is saying that there's people that are interested in learning more about alternatives to manage risk because the world is a risky place. Some of the old uh, playbooks don't work, okay? The entire platform that Ray Dalio built his largest hedge fund in the world, which was called Risk Parity, basically balancing levered position in bonds versus equities, unlevered equities, and the traditional relationships between bonds and equities have been blown out of the water because interest rates no longer go down when equities sell off. Well, that was a 40-year playbook. You take that and you just throw it in the trash can because that doesn't work anymore. Mr. Dalio retired at a pretty opportune time. It's much more difficult to manage money these days. Everything has got a correlation and lots of correlations don't make sense, but when you can't make sense of a market, I think Stan Druckenmiller would say, don't just do something, sit there, okay? Wait for the market to tell you what it's doing. Don't try to anticipate it or front run it. Don't just do something, sit there. Wait for it to come to you and then make your uh, decisions appropriately. You don't have to anticipate the next move, people. Sometimes you just sit on your hands and you wait for the market to come to you. Over, over to you guys. Thanks. All right. A quick comment on software. We mentioned this the other day, uh, the day that Jason released this or first tweeted about it. It's available on Amazon. Um, I was joking about it a little bit because I had a little bit of sticker shock when I looked at it on Amazon. The paperback is like 40 bucks. And I, I, I'm, this, this thing is, uh, right now the ratings are pretty crazy. It's number one in technology. It's number one in engineering. It's number two in digital currency. And it's rapidly approaching the top 100 of all books on Amazon. So what, Greg was saying was like, um, I think that's right. I think this is, this is going to be read in both academic circles and in, in government circles. Um, pretty important development. I, Wicked's here. I wanted, Wicked got some other information on the price of the book and how much Jason's actually making on it, that kind of thing. Do you want, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Well, the first thing is that, um, I don't know if you've seen pictures of this book next to like other books, but this thing's a textbook. <laughs> seems like a fucking massive book. It's 404 pages. And I think it's like a foot, you know, a foot long, uh, in, in the length size of things. So it's like a pretty large book. Right. And it's got color pictures. So, I mean, as far as like what you're getting for that price sticker, you know, it's, it's probably in that, in that appropriate range. I talked to, or I, I tweeted at Jason asking like, where, you know, why does it cost so much? He claims that the um, publishing fee was 60% or something, no, 40%. And then the other 60% is basically going to, um, going to, you know, actually making the book. He said that he's making like 30 something cents per book. And uh, he's using that money to then cover the costs of, of, you know, paying for the commissioned artwork in the book so he said once once those costs are covered he'll drop the the price down by 30 something cents so that it's you know a non-profit i suppose we'll see 
I can back those numbers up. Uh, we could because uh, he shared with me that he made uh, thirty four dollars on the first hundred books he sold. Um, again, I'm not promoting it. I bought the book. I'm going to have it in my library. I am going to get him to sign it. He says he's a spook and he's going to come out and tell everybody that I supported a spook and we giggled about it. So I, I just like to get, uh, you know, all information. The most important thing you need to do when you're investing is read information that's counter to your thesis. Okay. Which means I implore everybody who doesn't believe Jason is correct to read his book so that you understand perhaps he may be right. If you're still convinced he's wrong after you read his book, at least you're not Charlie Munger, who is convinced Bitcoin is a scam, but has never read the Fiat Standard, has never even read the white paper, was stumped on TV when Becky Quick asked him the question. You know, he started to drool. You know, his dribble cup needed to be right be below his chin because he was flummoxed. You cannot provide an opinion on something if you have not done the research. And most importantly, don't seek confirmation bias by reading stuff that tells you how smart you are and how right you are. Always read research that is counter to your thesis. So by chance, if your thesis is wrong, you can correct it and go in a different direction and not blow yourself out of the water. One final thing on, uh, uh, you know, the, the um, promotion. Uh, $40 is perhaps expensive and it, it is expensive, but the people that are reading it, that we want to read it are not going to bat an eye about playing for uh, paying $40. I'm talking about lawyers. I'm talking about people in uh, classrooms all around the world, professors. MIT is publishing this, but the quality of the publishing apparently is very low. And Jason wanted to have a hard copy, uh, edition that was more uh, uh, pristine, if you will, than the MIT. So it will be free on the MIT website in June once it is, uh, once his thesis has been, uh, I guess, reviewed or whatever. So if the $40 sticker price is, uh, 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 causes issues, I think that it's more important to think of the people that it could go to that aren't yet orange-pilled or don't understand the significance of Bitcoin um, and, uh, and the like. So that's all I'll say. Um, please people, I know this is an issue. Send hate mail if you must, but understand that it's a free world. You're allowed to have differing views and that's what makes a discussion very, uh, very good and, and freedom what it is. If everyone's thinking alike, somebody isn't thinking, right? That was general George Patton's excellent line. If everybody's thinking alike, somebody isn't thinking. So please, let's listen to uh, opposing views. Thanks. A couple of things here, and then we could probably, I don't know how, how much longer we want to dwell on this, but like <laughs> one thing that's funny is if you go on the Amazon site, uh, the, the way that Jason introduced himself as the author is <laughs> Major Jason Spook Lowry. So he, <laughs> he calls himself a spook on Amazon. It was hilarious. Um, and then another thing that he was saying, uh, I've been kind of going through some of his like retweets that he's been you know, retweeting. He said that um, part of the, the price tag sticker shock or whatever is like it almost lends the book a little credibility in this weird way where 
you know, some people just won't look at the book unless it's like, you know, a big meaty book, right? They're not going to go look at a little pamphlet that costs 10 bucks. I mean, that's another aspect of this, I guess. Yeah, and I'll just toss in there as the as the dad of a couple college age kids that uh, regarding textbook prices, forty books is dirt cheap. Like my kids in college, they 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 spend about two hundred bucks per textbook. So if you think of it in terms of a textbook, it's dirt cheap. And then and then I wanted to follow up on Foss's point about Munger and about reading uh, material that is sort of opposite of what your investment thesis is. Uh, that is true wisdom, I think, in, in being able to absorb a, a counter opinion to your own and being willing to admit you're wrong. The interesting thing about that is it requires humility, right? It, it, it requires you to admit that you could be wrong, and that's an act of humility. I don't personally see that in Charlie Munger. He does not strike me as a humble person, uh, nor does someone like Jamie Dimon. Um, but uh, I think for all investors, especially just individual investors out there, always consider that your thesis might be wrong, and that's how you survive another day, and that's how you make it uh, over the long run, especially in the investment world. Can we can we talk about how our thesis could be wrong with Bitcoin? I think that's an sure. excellent subject. Do you, I, do you oh, go ahead, have Alex. A specific, uh, do you have a specific angle of attack you want to discuss, Wicked? I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what the big brains up on stage think. You know, the ones who, who think more critically than I do, probably. Larry, go ahead, because you brought it up on yesterday's podcast with the... Uh, Blue collar Bitcoin boys. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I get a lot of people who are looking to invest in my fund and investing in Bitcoin ask me, you know, what could go wrong? What's wrong with this picture? If you're not examining that, you're not thinking. And um, I have a kind of a multi pronged approach to this. I think the first thing that could go wrong is the technology could blow up. Um, you know, it's, it is computer based. Um, you know, there's just there's always that risk. I think it's gotten to the point where it's almost infinitesimal because of the way it's been designed and the work the core developers have done. But, you know, even as recently as a few years ago, they were talking about how there was a backdoor, you know, thing that could have led to, you know, um, uh, coin, coin issuance over and above the 21 million. Um, you know, this was a much bigger risk in the early days. Um, and, you know, we went through the, you know, the fork wars, the block wars. that was a bug not a backdoor yeah okay a i'm bug, sorry but, to interrupt you but I you know, but the I think. point is the point is that there are you know there's there's always technical risk i, I you know 770 plus thousand plus blocks and you know going on 15 years of of operating I, i'm not worried about that anymore i think that risk has gotten very small i think that risk was big in 2011 or 13 um i think the other risk is the risk associated with um um a drop in adoption. If for some reason people were to lose interest in Bitcoin, or there were not new use cases and and growth in users, um, you know, it's it's an asset that depends upon um, users using it and and caring about it and wanting to wanting to hold it and to exchange you know value in, in fiat terms for for the hardest money in the world. And so, if for some reason you know adoption were to slow or go negative. You know that would obviously be a negative. You know a negative. I don't think it would kill it, but it would it would certainly halt. Um, you know the the future um, commitment to it. On I think on the part of a lot of people, but I don't see that happening either. I mean, if you look at all the you know however you want to measure it in terms of addresses, transactions, 
hash power, you know, there, there are a number of different metrics. I mean, you know, the, the, um, the remittance case from overseas and, you know, what's going on in Nigeria. And, and then you look at lightning and how much lightning is opening up the use of it. I mean, it's just to me that, again, that's not a huge risk. Um, you know, I, I think there's the risk that, you know, governments suddenly get responsible and fiat becomes good. But, you know, that's kind of a joke. Right. We all know that the risk of that is is pretty small. Um, and then I think the final risk isn't that it's something that would kill it. But I think there's the risk that it gets slowed down. And we're kind of seeing that right now a little. We're seeing a small version of that based on FTX. I mean, FTX left Washington, D.C. with its pants down. Um, you know, Gary Gensler should resign in disgrace because of what happened with all of these unregistered securities that were, you know, in the broader crypto universe. And as we all know, Bitcoin, I mean, we call it, it's called crypto, but it's not. It's really a unique animal unto itself, totally different than all other crypto, including Ethereum, which I believe is a fraud. And, um, but, you know, the, the SEC didn't do its job. And so a lot of innocent and gullible people lost a lot of money in a lot of crypto related things. And as a result of that, you know, they're now trying to close the barn door after the horse is out. And so, in my opinion, um, you know, they could they could try to and could do things that would hamper its growth. I mean, the biggest one, obviously, is trying to you know prevent the on and off ramps. I mean, look at what they did to Custodian, Caitlin. Look at what they're doing to Silvergate and some of the other people. You know, they they basically have, have tried to prevent people from being, you know, being providing on ramps and off ramps. I mean, they're talking about going after Kraken, et cetera. So. So they could do that. I think the final thing they can do, and I think they will do this as their fiat system starts to collapse, is that they're going to start to demonize um, hard money people, including the gold people, and say, look, we had this great fiat system going here and you guys all messed it up. And, you know, you're evil and anti-American. And just like in World War II, you had to buy war bonds to support the effort against the Axis. You know, we're, we're in a similar war. And, and by the way, I think they're I think that I'm, I'm greatly concerned about the war. My, my level of concerns about warfare have gone up enormously in the last six months. And so, because I think that might be what they use as the cover to, 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 for the next, you know, big print. And, um, you know, so they, they could basically say, hey, you guys aren't, you know, you're, you're, you're ruining our good fiat system. And therefore, we need to tax gold and Bitcoin capital gains at 95%. You know, and we don't want you to we don't want you to make any money doing this. I mean, sure, you're welcome to buy it. But, you know, if you try and profit off it, it's not going to work. And, um, you know, my 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 response to that is that would greatly slow down adoption, but it wouldn't necessarily kill the assets because to have a taxable gain, you got to sell it. And I ain't selling. And most of the people who own gold and Bitcoin aren't selling um, because we're going to wait until the other side when all these fiat assholes are dead and then we're going to take over. And, and they will be dead. I mean, fiat will die. It's programmed to die. It has to die. The only issue is at what rate. But I think all of these things are the, you know, the bear case for Bitcoin that, you know, could slow it down. Um, but I really don't think anything can kill it. That's, you know, and that's why I have, you know, personally, I have a 50% allocation to Bitcoin and 50% allocation to gold and gold-related assets. And I'm, I'm very comfortable with both those positions. And to your, to your point, Larry, you know, uh, of course, they're coming after Bitcoin. It's it's insanely disruptive to virtually every industry that it touches, and it touches virtually every industry. Now that we have Lightning payments, and uh, and it, the more secure it gets every single day, or the more users that are onboarded every day, the more secure it gets, and and they know this. And so, if you're out there and you think naively that. The, the U.S. government is going to listen to the people and not introduce CBDCs. You are missing 
the boat and the point. They are absolutely working towards this. We don't know exactly how they're going to come, but they are working towards this. And that's a great point, Larry, that, you know, using some sort of uh, obscure or new tax rule or, or, or uh, introducing a new tax rule for Bitcoin in particular, that, that would be a way to, uh, to try to slow the adoption. But like you said, we're not selling. Um, if, if we have to, if we have to borrow against it, then so be it, but we're not selling and, you know, um, but they're going to, they want control period control and Jamie Dimon and, uh, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett and all the cronies are going to be 100% behind the CBDC instead of a, uh, a Bitcoin on ramp. 100%. And you, you guys have to understand that. So good, good points, Larry. You know, what's funny about all this is the thing I'm worried about is the opposite. I'm actually worried about adoption happening too quickly. So in some funny way, them kind of <laughs> halting the, the, the acceleration of adoption might actually, in my mind, be good for Bitcoin because it'll give us more time to really develop the base layer and the second layers on top to get ready for the whole world. I mean, I, in my opinion, I don't think Bitcoin's ready for the whole world, right? Technically, I think there's a lot of development that needs to be done. And if fiat collapsed tomorrow and everyone rushed into Bitcoin, the, the system would kind of, kind of break. Like it would become really expensive to use. Lightning wouldn't, you know, work for everyone at this point because we just don't have enough infrastructure on Lightning. So like, you know, we need more time to really build it all out. And um, yeah, funny enough, like if they if they actually, you know, <laughs> dampen adoption as much as they can, like I don't think they can really dampen it that much. I mean, the cat's out of the bag, right? Everyone's gonna everyone's gonna keep, you know, finding Bitcoin and once you find it, you kind of you don't ever go back, right? You put those orange those orange glasses on, they they never come off. Um and so you can't really like, you can't stop it. You can't halt it. I don't think you can turn it around, um, but you might be able to slow it, you know, with, with these different tactics. And yeah, I mean, maybe that's good for Bitcoin too. <laughs> In a funny way. Yeah. And it's interesting. It, well said, uh, Wicked. The, the problems that we've seen in, in the crypto universe in the last year because of bad actors, poor or zero risk management, um, over leverage and all of that, it, it's produced a lot of pain in this space. And, and there are companies out there who are, who are struggling for cash or, or miners who have been turned upside down because they got over their ski tips, as we say. Um, but, uh, Hey, listen, Alex, I've got to run. And on that, uh, I, because some of you, or many of you know that, uh, Larry, Greg, and I up here are, we're starting the Bitcoin opportunity fund to do exactly what wicked is talking about is, is help invest and and uh, expand this this universe in, in Bitcoin and help this uh, help this ecosystem. And so, but I've got to go take some phone calls on that with some investors and, and start working on that. I'm focused on that entirely right now. So thank you all uh, a ton for having me. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get uh, too much time to speak, but y'all have heard plenty enough from me lately. So we'll talk soon. Thank you guys. See you, James. Thanks, Thanks James. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, uh, can I uh, jump in after Wicked? Uh, you know what? So this is why I attend Spaces. Uh, because I'm going to tell, uh, uh, you build on Wicked's point. Um, 
and it gives me a sense of comfort. I'm not quite as bearish as Larry is in terms of uh, when I think the fiat system unravels. But that being said, nobody knows. And, you know, the expression slowly than suddenly. But I also agree with Wicked. I don't think that the world is ready for a Bitcoin standard. I don't think the infrastructure, the Bitcoin infrastructure is ready for a Bitcoin standard. Perhaps the world is, but the infrastructure is not ready. Um, so you take positives from that. Um, I just want to remind people, and, and again, this is perhaps directed a little bit at Joe in the audience because we tend to disagree a lot, which is totally cool. Um, the fact that U.S. CDS trades at greater than zero, uh, but less than 35 basis points in the five-year has a probability of default that's minuscule. It's not zero, but it's minuscule. And the way you calculate that probability of default is you assume a recovery rate and you just back out. So the typical thing is to assume a 40% recovery rate and you back out the probability of default. It's a mathematical equation. But that is what CDS measures is a probability of default. Now, there are 160 other fiat currencies in the world that will fail before the U.S. dollar fails. And it's my hope, quite honestly, that the U.S. dollar does not fail. Okay, fiat currency is valuable for certain things, including global trade, which will always happen in a global economy. So I don't think it happens this decade, Lar. Uh, that being said, I have no clue. And it certainly can happen this decade. But my, uh, my chances are that uh, probably Canada fails sometime this decade. But Canada will fail probably 10 years before the USA fails. Okay, so that's just a false nothing but finger in the wind type of uh, prediction. But I don't think the fiat system fails this decade, the entire fiat system. In fact, I think maybe there's a, an angle here where the U.S. dollar uh, reigns supreme as the global reserve currency, and there's maybe two or three global reserve currencies, and every other country in the world has to adopt one of those reserve currencies. And Bitcoin is the reserve asset of the world that replaces U.S. Treasury bonds. Again, this is a FOSS, finger in the wind, trying to give some uh, you know, outlooks as to the future. But would, what, what things would risk Bitcoin, in my opinion? Uh, you know, everything that Larry mentioned, the patch that was done uh, on the, on the uh, 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 Bitcoin for the, uh, the inflation uh, bug, as Alex pointed out, is... Uh, you know, these are things that, that certainly there's not a zero risk of that uh, surfacing again. What, uh, what other things just in FOSS's uh, foolish world that I live in that could hinder Bitcoin or, or, you know, materially stop Bitcoin is a concerted European central bank, excuse me, Euro ECB plus all other G7 central bank coordinated efforts against it. It wouldn't kill it. It would hinder it. But that type of global reaction would not surprise me. You see the garbage stuff coming out of the ECB. Uh, did you happen to see the Valentine's? Roses are red, violets are blue. Something, something, something will fight inflation for you down to two or something like this. This was published by the effing ECB as a Valentine's wish. And they're, they're quoting it like you get it on a card that they're going to fight inflation and bring it down to two. This, these are being run by school teacher, elementary school teacher type of mentalities. And that type of mentality 
doesn't stop at saying, hey, well, we'll get the ECB and the, the Fed and the Bank of Canada, Bank of Japan, uh, you know, to, to coordinate against Bitcoin. So those are certainly risks that I think are growing as they become more desperate. Um, and so, Wicked, I learned from you. Um, that's why I come to Spaces. And Joe Kalasari, this is not a shot at you, my friend. I learn when you don't believe that Bitcoin is in an insurance product, I'm fine with it. I look at it from a credit angle. I'm not asking other people to look at it in the same lens that I look at it from. And if they want to think of it as pure money, that's fine. If you want to think of it as transfer of information, that's fine as well. So that's basically my rant for the day. I will stay on the stage for the rest of the, the hour, Alex, but you take the conversation wherever you want. Sure. Why don't we, um, while we have a moment here, why don't we hit announcements? This has been a great conversation. I appreciate you guys being here as always. For those, who, for those of you who are listening and are new, this is Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do talk about Bitcoin. We do it every day. This is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple if you can't catch it live on Twitter Spaces. Uh, later tonight, today, we have Hard Money with Natalie Brunel on Swan YouTube. Let's say it's going to be released at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, go check that out if you're interested. Tomorrow, we're going to have Swan Private Macro with the Swan Private team. If you're interested in that discussion, that will be right here on Twitter Spaces again, same time. Next up is Swan IRA is live. If you're interested in holding Bitcoin in your IRA, whether it's Roth or traditional, you can do that with Swan. You can roll over or transfer, I'm sorry, you can roll over from an existing 401k. You can also transfer from an existing IRA or Roth if you wanna do that. It's super simple. Setup is incredibly easy. Basically, you just need a Swan account and we can turn it on for you. Um, and it's two clicks to set it up. Then you hit the transfer button, fill out some information, and you can get that thing rolling. Um, we'll get you set up. No transfer fees, no minimum balance requirements. This is real Bitcoin. This is not like buying GBDC or some proxy for Bitcoin. This is real Bitcoin, uh, and you own it. Check out swan.com slash IRA for more information. And then finally... Swan is sponsoring the Toxic Happy Hour Pleb Party in Miami on May 18th. I'm super fired up for that. Going to be there. Uh, I hope you're going to be there, too. Uh, I hope to see some of you guys there. If That's where you're going to hang. That's where I'm going to hang. I mean, we're also going to have a Swan house uh, down there. But uh, this is going to be the party <laughs> for all the plebs. By the way, we've got Puppy here. Puppy, if you want to say a couple things. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, yeah, actually, Carol, I was going to add on a bit to what Lawrence was talking about. But yeah, um, look, we had an unbelievable time out in L.A. Uh, throwing a pled party. Uh, Anders was hosting out there for um, Pacific Bitcoin. And what we thought, he, he has an L.A. meetup group out there. And he just said, hey, yeah, let me, I'm going to put out a, a sign-up sheet here. And we thought, you know, 20, 30 clubs in the area would show up. And then that thing just grew to 200, 300, and we had to cap it at 400. So he said, hey, let's, let's roll one out for Miami. That's what we do. And Anders, Anders found this unbelievable rooftop uh, location in South Beach. It's less than half a mile, less than half a mile from the conference itself. So if you're staying in South Beach, you can literally walk or just get a, a you know, a five-minute Uber. But it's great. I'm looking up here like half the stage, man. I know Jeff and Lawrence and Foster are going to be there already. So, yeah, you know, 
if you can. Um, I think we've got half the tickets already accounted for. Um, so yeah, go ahead and sign up. I'd love to see you there. And what's brilliant about it is it's not only the plebs, it's, it's you realize everyone that you see every day on, on these spaces and podcasts, they're plebs too, man. They like to, they like to hang out and, and talk with everybody. So yeah, jump on in there. Uh, I was going to add to Lawrence, you know, we're, we were just talking about this too yesterday, Alex, um, you know, they can play the long game here. It doesn't have to be an out and out, just destroy Bitcoin. And there, there's two things that can easily happen. Um, there's going to be some sort of 9-11 type event, uh, something else that you demonize that was funded by Bitcoin, okay, to turn sort of public opinion. But the, the two things right now is, one, um, how they continue um, to conflate crypto with Bitcoin. And so all the normies see uh, month after month, um, year after year, is they see another crypto uh, goes down. People got wrecked. It's a big Ponzi, and there's no regulation. Now, I'm not for regulation like that per se. What I'm saying is, if this was any other industry, okay, where you had unregulated securities like this, man, they would they would have jumped at that. But the longer you let this go on, uh, th- without any any type of uh, recourse for any of the the founders, man, your Doquans, your your SBF that are out there the more the public does lose interest. Like, why would they get involved there? And second, I think a next further step is you, you they can start going, it, well, one, it's hard already. There's so many banks, you know, every, every month has, there's, you find out a buddy's got another bank that won't allow them to purchase any more Bitcoin from whatever exchange. So the banks start to dwindle there. Um, obviously then they, you can go, they can subpoena um, any exchange. They, they can go after the exchanges at some point and look, it's all KYC for most people nowadays, so the, they'll have your information. Um, they'll just put soft pressure on you. Maybe, maybe you get audited more often. It's just, they're just gonna make life miserable. Uh, so that's what, that's the important thing, get it off the exchange. I, I do foresee uh, a, a future, uh, especially when the CBDCs come down, you're absolutely not gonna be able to purchase Bitcoin with it. But when you're, you're, you're tied into your, your carbon footprint, you're tied into your social credit score with this, I, I can see Bitcoin as that insurance policy that will be almost the, the currency of a black market economy. You know, maybe maybe I want to buy an extra extra um, 20 pounds of steak through the Beef Initiative accepting Bitcoin, and they'll be there for me. Thank you. All right. If you guys want to move on to other topics, by the way, we've got Joe Carlosari up here. Good morning, Joe. If you want to add a comment or a thought from the forum. Yeah. Topic. Good morning, everybody. Great conversation. Thanks for everybody for joining today. Um, so I just want to name, uh, just given my two cents, because my name was invoked a couple times by Greg, uh, which I don't mind. Um, so first and foremost, so let's just be intellectually honest about this. The five-year CDS is on U.S. debt. Shows an implied probability as of this morning of 0.5 four percent of default right so it's never zero you can never calculate zero but if you're trying to make the argument like u.s default is imminent and that's what cds is showing that's just not supported by the data it's it's 0.54 which by the way was considerably higher about 50 percent higher in 2013 during the debt debacle that we had previously and you can't just do the blind math guys you have to think and read read the derivative contract read what the actual cds says because if there's any amount of technical default caused by the political 
you know, dog and pony show in Washington about raising the debt ceiling, that contract's going to pay. That's how the contract's written. So it's not just about the math. It's actually the politics behind it. And the politics are telling you, yeah, maybe there's a technical default. But does that mean over the course of the next five years, there's some problem with U.S. debt or their ability to issue or serve as the reserve? It's just, it's just not there. I would say if you're going to say if you're going to talk about this point, you know, point five four percent of default over the next five years that the CDS contract has an implied probability of, you should probably, you know, spend more time thinking about aliens because I think there's a higher chance that there are aliens among us than that default. All right. So let's walk through that, Joe. Um, very simply, it's not zero, which is all that I've ever said. Secondly, there's correlation with other assets and correlation traders will trade sovereign debt against things like high yield. They'll trade it against real estate. They'll trade it against leveraged loans. They'll trade it. I, I could go on and on and on. Okay. So there's a correlation impact and you can lever your position in sovereign CDS meaningfully to capture the moves in the spread. By having a spread doesn't mean you need to have it default to make money. What you are doing is ensuring a system. Very simply, you are ensuring a system because everything trades on top of US CDS. Every single incremental risk asset trades higher than US CDS. But US CDS is not zero. So therefore, my biggest issue is stop using risk-free asset. That is the bullshit terminology. So let's do more math. If you have a 35 basis point CDS spread and you want to insure yourself for 20 years, there is no 20-year contract, but let's assume you do a tenor calculation and you take that out to a 20-year contract that could exist, you're probably paying close to 1% for 20-year default protection on the U.S. Treasury. Well, if there is $200 trillion of funded and unfunded U.S. Treasury obligations, what is 1% times $200 trillion? That's correct. It's $2 trillion. That's when the math starts to matter. And if, if Bitcoin actually is then potentially CDS on the USA, it should be trading at $2 trillion. And here's the kicker. You get all other CDS fiat or CDS on other fiats for free because Bitcoin is trading for less than half a billion dollars, uh, sorry, half a trillion dollars right now. So not only is Bitcoin four times cheap to how much it would cost to insure U.S. funded and unfunded obligations over the next 20 years, but you get everything else for free. That's all I'm trying to point out, sir. I am not taking issue. And by the way, I do not want the USA to default. And I don't think it is close, but it is not zero. And yeah, that's all here, I'm here's, saying, Jeff. Here's why, the, the, again, Greg, respectfully, that, that the math, you, ha you, have to, you can't just do math in a vacuum. You have to look at it, how it actually manifests in the real world. For example, okay, plenty of CDSs should have hit in 2008. They absolutely should have paid off. You know why they didn't? Because firms were insolvent. They couldn't make good on the obligation. Now, let me it, tell you what it, would happen. Counterparty risk. That's it. Counterparty yeah, it, well, risk. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Correct. Counterparty risk. So let's, let's, let's experiment what would happen in the event of a U.S. debt default. In the event of a U.S. debt default, the banking system would not function. So explain to me how Bitcoin as a CDS would pay off when the on-ramps to exchanges, which were, where people would have to 
flee to get Bitcoin because you can't buy all Bitcoin from local Bitcoins. How would those billions of dollars get into the into Bitcoin if the banking system doesn't function? Well, Explain Joe, it's sort of, okay. It's sort of like this. Um, if you want to purchase fire insurance on your house, but your house is already fucking burning down. Do you actually have anyone that sells you the insurance? No, that's what, beside the point. So that's, the, no, it's if, not. If the, that's what insurance is. You buy if Bitcoin insurance. Was a, if Bitcoin was an insurance product, it would pay off in the event of a default. We agree on that. That's that's just what insurance is, right? So if the U.S. defaults, so you don't think it would? You don't? I actually think it would pay off in the event of the U.S. default. Yeah, yeah, it would pay off after you know the entire banking system was reconstituted because no one would have any further. But at that point, you'd have an interim period where there'd be absolute chaos. Because you would not have the ability to get but on maybe ramps. Bitcoin, maybe Bitcoin's the only thing that's working, Joe. The ATMs aren't working. The bank. How are you going to buy Bitcoin? Hang on, hang on one second. I'll pause you guys for one second. Larry had something he wanted to weigh in here with, and there's a there's another um, topic as well that that is part of this. Larry, did you have a, a comment on this? Yeah, I was just going to say that Joe, it would pay off because there will be a new monetary system, I and mean, if the monetary system fails. You know, the first thing that'll happen is there'll be some kind of new monetary system, and as that gets you know unfolded, it, and they'll try fiat, and the fiat won't work, um, and then eventually, you know, value will be exchanged for real things. I mean, there'll be some kind of crude barter for a while, you know, with silver, gold, silver coins, etc. You know, food, gasoline, all of that, and then there'll be a new. You know, somebody will have to come in with a new system, and and things will be priced in that new system, and in terms of purchasing power. The purchasing power of the soundest money in the world will be just off the charts. I mean, it'll be a complete reset, and you know, people who own Bitcoin will be you know the wealthiest people in the world by far. If you had a total fiat collapse, so so I think Greg is right. It is CDS. It's a CDS on sovereign currencies, perfectly described. Guys, we we owe it, and I appreciate that, Larry. We owe it to the listeners, right, to be specific about this. In the event of a U.S. default, the banking system cannot function. Right. That's that's just practice. That's how the banking system functions. It relies on treasuries as the base, as the reserve. That's what a reserve asset is. So in the event of U.S. default, in, and I think you're right, Larry, I actually agree with you. They would try to reconstitute some other fiat currency. That's how this normally transpires historically. Right. They throw out the old and they move to some new thing. OK, that old paper's no good. We're going to issue the new dollar and the new dollars debts and obligations will be paid. But the, in that interim period where the banking system isn't functioning, Given how tiny, we all agree, Bitcoin is so tiny right now, you're, you're not going to have Bitcoin paying off in that interim period. Bitcoin should trade $1,000. That's that's my point. Okay. Uh, well, can, can I just add, Alex, sorry, and Joe, that you look, please, if, if you leave the stage, don't leave the stage. If you leave this conversation with one thing in your mind, every other currency in the world will default before the USA does, which is to say... It's for all the other people that don't live in the privileged USA to own Bitcoin. Now, you can live in the USA and get default protection on other currencies for free if you don't live in Lebanon, if you don't live in Nigeria. But the fact that I point to the CDS on the USA as being greater than zero has no bearing on, I think it's going to default. Do I actually think the USA will default in the next 20 years? Well, you know what? If I was buying and trading US CDS and there was a 20-year contract, I would say 1% is about what I would say would be the bogey right now. Not 1% default probability, 1% credit default swap spread on 20-year CDS. Why? I don't know. It's a false finger in the wind. 
But please understand, Joe, I'm not talking about the USA defaulting. I'm talking about Canada, which will default 10 years before the USA, and all the other countries that will default many years before Canada defaults when as well. When is Japan going to default? When is Japan going to default? Because they're 20 years ahead. Japan okay, is a right. net exporter, and and the USA is a net importer. You cannot compare the two. Sorry. No. So so okay, I mean hey, the answer on, is. I'm going to I'm going to pause you guys because you guys can go back and forth on this for the for the next forty minutes or fifty minutes, and we'll not we'll, we probably won't get anywhere with it. <laughs> not sure. We're I actually have to, have to do work. So thanks, guys. Appreciate Larry, what, uh, before, Greg, Jeff, Alex. Take care. Okay. See you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. I do I do have a question. Then we've still got Larry. We've got Jeff. We've got we've got Greg. Um. And other smart guys up here. I, I have a question and then an observation and then another question. The first question is for both, for for Larry, Greg, Jeff, maybe Joe, if Joe's sticking around. If any particular asset in any market, if that market stops trading, what happens to the asset? Where do you have a custody? Yeah, that's the question. Okay. Um, so in the instance of what Joe was talking about, essentially. Where all the banks it's called work. a bail-in. It's called a bail-in. Google bail-in, and that's what happens when the USA defaults. Okay? It's the Cyprus solution. It's a bail-in. It's over. Do I want that to happen? No. We're trying Larry, to... Do you, have, do you have a thought on that? Well, uh, look, Joe made a very good point. I mean, there may be a very brief period of time where there is no liquid market for Bitcoin because the system is, you know, just things in general aren't functioning. But you know, time will go by and new systems will be, you know, set up. And well, people... well, Joe wasn't talking about Bitcoin, though. Joe was talking about U.S. dollars. He was saying the banking system would stop. Correct. So I, what I'm trying to do is talk about in the context of, of the U.S. dollar, because Bitcoin won't stop. You understand Bitcoin is not going to stop. It doesn't matter if the U.S. dollar and the banking system collapse tomorrow. Bitcoin would keep running. Right. We could still trade with each other in Bitcoin. So what I'm trying Correct. to get to is I mean, assuming, you know, assuming all the utilities didn't shut down and there wasn't, you know, a, a loss of power event. I mean, there. Yeah, but that's a different attack vector. Right? Yeah. I'm talking just about like markets halt, right? You know, uh, well, so imagine, for example, that the New York Stock Exchange, point, the New York Stock Exchange stops trading tomorrow and and stops trading for like months at a time, but then. Alex, you also assets? have to assume that Bitcoin has value at that point for us to be able to trade with each other. Well, okay, sure, that's an assumption, but I mean, that's to well, me, it's obvious what will happen. Okay, that was the question. I don't think we're going to get an answer so, just yet. Yeah, but but, but but here's here's the point, guys. I mean, when you say trade, you're you're talking about a pair, right? There's there's Bitcoin, and then what are you going to trade it against? And you know, I think the much more likely the way the CDS is going to pay off is not that the banking system is going to fail per se. It's that Gresham's law is going to kick in, and Bitcoin is going to go to 50,000, 100,000, 150,000, half a million, 1 million, 2 million, 10 million. I mean, in the space yes. of, you know, um, days, weeks, months, which will basically right. be the event which says fiat has failed. And everybody, uh, yeah. who's, everybody who's got fiat will be scrambling. It'll be a crack-up boom. Everyone who's got fiat will be scrambling to exchange these quickly becoming worthless dollars for stuff, you know, and I mean, they'll be buying, you know, they'll be buying gold, they'll be buying silver, they'll be buying houses, they'll be buying food, you know, anything that's not fiat, because they know that their fiat is worthless. I mean, that's how it happened in Weimar. And that's how it'll happen here. That's how it happens every time. In fact, that was the observation that I was going to make. So Joe's point was, 
if this happens, the US, whole US banking system freezes up, well, what happens when you have any collapsing currency? And this is not conjecture, right? Like he said for, for the audience, so the audience understands what's gonna happen here. You're gonna have a freeze of the banking system. Well, well what next? And what happens next, if you look at history, if history is any, is any clue, is people immediately start shifting into a black market currency. Why? Because we still need to eat. We still need to do our things, right? So history shows us every time, without exception, whether it's Zimbabwe or whether it's Argentina or whether it's Venezuela or whatever, there's always a shift into something else, right? And then lastly, Bitcoin's not going to stop running. It's just going to keep running. So if you can shift into that, the question is, well, how do you shift all this stuff into it if the banking system doesn't work? Well, let's go back to first principles. How is wealth created in the first place? We do stuff. We work. We create things. So if I'm willing to create things and do stuff for other people, but I want to be paid in something that I can actually fucking use because the banking system is closed, well, Bitcoin sounds like it might work. Amen, Alex. That's exactly it. And let's give Joe his rightful uh, uh, respect. Uh, you know what? It probably is around the level of aliens. Uh, and that being said, you know, there's plenty of people that believe aliens have uh, already visited Earth. So this is nothing more than an exercise in understanding that it is a non-zero possibility of the USA defaulting. I believe that possibility is increasing and increasing quickly as the debt spiral increases. And that's excellent work that Luke Roman and Lynn Alden do and Jeff uh, Ross and James Lavish do as well. This is not anything but to make sure people understand you need to protect yourself with insurance. I don't know of anybody who owns a home and doesn't have fire insurance on their home. But the two firefighters that Larry and I were on TV, uh, not TV, on a podcast with yesterday, the Dan and Josh, the BTC blue collar Bitcoin pod, which is amazing. They said a story about where they were, you know, putting out the flames on a guy's house, a one and a half million dollar house, and uh, he did not have insurance. So I just like to think of it as your insurance policy. I use it as a valuation metric to show how cheap I believe Bitcoin is. I respect people who don't see it the same way. I want to thank you guys for arguing this because I believe it makes my argument stronger when I'm able to uh, defend it against these criticisms. And there's plenty of other ways to value Bitcoin too, including this disaster scenario that you guys are going through. God, let's hope that doesn't happen. And this is why I'm here. I do not want the USA to default. Let's be so clear about that. You talk about the stock market reopening. Do you think fucking people will care about stocks when the USA defaults? Yeah, see, Alex? That's, that's that's what I was getting at. Like if you if you if you look at historically what happens in situations where you have economic collapses and things like that, I mean it's a and it's an incredible amount of, amount of chaos and turmoil, right? So what happens to those assets? Like in Weimar, what happened to all the stocks? What happened to the property? What happened to all this kind of stuff? Poof, they're gone. Well, yeah, I can tell you. Um, so for for probably a very brief period of time, there wasn't a lot of commerce done because everything was so confusing that nobody knew what anything was worth. Um, but then slowly but surely, 
um, the government came in and their plan was actually they backed a new currency. They created a new mark and they, they backed it with originally with, with property. Um, but then ultimately they went to backing it with gold. And um, that new mark started to exchange, started to trade. And I'm pretty sure the stock market was shut throughout all this. But I also know, and I haven't, you know, I wasn't, I don't read German, so I can't go look at all the original source documents. But I also know that um, from what I've read that um, that the people who held stocks, like let's say you held Siemens stock, which is a big industrial organization in Germany, which existed pre-Weimar and post-Weimar, you ultimately came out whole or ahead. But I'm guessing there was a period of time where if you said, you know, I'd like to sell my Siemens stock to get some cash to go buy food, you know, you were shit out of luck because the market was closed. And, you know, I could foresee something similar. I mean, if we have a mass currency reset event, you know, it's going to be extremely messy for a brief period of time until the new systems get put into place and people begin to trust them. That's kind of what history shows. So if the rails are broken, let's say the U.S. dollar rails are broken in that scenario, let's say you own Tesla, right? And we have this situation, stock markets close, banks close, everything closes. Um, people are trying to unload their assets just so that they can get uh, currency, in which case this, just hear me out, this scenario, what if the currency was Bitcoin? What if people are like, well, Bitcoin's still running, we can still use this, right? Like right now. Um, and as you said, Larry, the, the price of Bitcoin absolutely skyrockets because people are piling into it. Maybe there's tons of assets that are frozen in the system, sure, in U.S. dollars denominated assets because those rails are frozen. But it doesn't stop people from, you know, exchanging their goods and services for Bitcoin immediately. Like, um, that's an immediate instant pivot. Like, I want to sell my eggs, but I will take it in sats. Shoot me some sats. Um and then there's other people who who hold these assets that are that are basically frozen, untradeable, illiquid. Um, some dude owns a hundred shares of Tesla, and he's like, "Well, look, I want to buy eggs." Um, will is it possible to create some kind of a contract for me to sell you my shares of Tesla in exchange for Bitcoin because that's going to be the liquid, tradable money? Is this, am I off base here? Am I crazy? Alex, if you I'll have the shares. It. If you have them in bearer form, I mean, that's how Wall Street started. People trading stocks on the corner of Wall Street in bearer form, exactly that way. So, you know, it's all, again, custody, bearer assets, uh, markets. Uh, you know, here's the funny thing. Bitcoin but, won't but trade. Greg, Greg yes. you get laughed at if you look, if, if you ask for those bearer instruments from your, from your okay, stock stop, exchange, you'll get please, laughed please. at. Okay, okay, please. My God, you're right. We should be laughing that we're talking about this scenario about the USA. Why don't we talk about it where it's much more real, like Lebanon? That's my only point, guys. Maybe we should move this whole argument away from the USA because it ain't happening, in my opinion, for a good long time. And hopefully never if we get our friggin' acting gear and protect against this unbelievably disastrous scenario in all cases. Larry says a brief period of time. I fucking assure you that it will be 20 years before they figure this out if the USA defaults. And that's the rest of my life. And I don't want to be like Charlie Munger. Okay. So God, people do the right thing and protect against this insurance, put the fire out before it starts. And, and that's all I'm saying. Thank right. you. Yeah. The, the insurance thing, I think it, it really can't be said enough. And I think to Joe, I don't want to put words in Joe's mouth, but you know, he's saying again, there's a lockup of the system. And Alex, you just alluded to this, there's a lockup of the system. 
how are people getting those assets they have in, in the legacy system into Bitcoin, right? And that, to Greg's point, what he's saying is like, you do buy it beforehand, correct? You're buying insurance. If your house burns down, you don't have insurance. Now you don't have any money to recoup or a house. That's going to be people in the system. In the, in the fiat legacy system, this, this is a counterparty risk that someone just mentioned a little bit ago. You are running the risk by not having Bitcoin. You're running the risk that the fiat system melts down and now you have nothing. Is someone going to take that, that stock, that contract to trade you Bitcoin? Probably not. They're not going to, like Peter just mentioned. And that, that's the insurance play. I, don't, I just don't think that's talked about enough. And it's a great conversation because this is exactly what's happening. Buy the insurance now because the, the chance that someone's going to trade you some paper contract on this when, the, when this, everything's melting down is, well, I, is slim know, to nothing. I don't know. Like it, it, There are people who own a lot of Bitcoin. I mean, I have clients who own a lot. Bitcoin. And, you know, if they're able to buy a hundred shares of Tesla stock for pennies on the dollar, because it's, it, it, you know, it, there's blood in the streets and there's a distressed, um, there's a distressed situation. Why wouldn't somebody part with some of their Bitcoin to buy that if there's a way to do it? And maybe that's when the system comes back too. I, I don't know if Lawrence, you know, someone just said that too. When the system comes back during that short chaos period, when a system does come back, you're right, Alex. I mean, there's going to be blood in the streets and all those other assets that people left. And, and absolutely, people will be jumping probably back into those, I would imagine. That's exactly how a market develops, people. Exactly. One of the ways that it will trade first, Lar, one of the first pairs will be Bitcoin gold. Okay? Because the U.S. dollar will have no value. So, therefore, uh, Bitcoin has infinite value against the U.S. dollar. Where's gold trading? I don't know. But the, one of the first no. pair trades could be Bitcoin gold. Okay, guys, this is how markets develop. My goodness, it's not about it's all about going back to first principles. You know what's going to trade three sheeps for a fucking donkey. Okay, that's what will trade. I need pork. I trade my pork for how many cows or whatever. This is what barter is. Barter starts and that's what fiat solves. But when fiat isn't around, you go back to a barter economy. Very simple. And it'll be Bitcoin bartered against other stuff, including Tesla shitty shares at pennies on the dollar. Fuck, I'd short them. I would short them because who the fuck has any electricity to run a car? The only electricity that's being used is the Bitcoin miners that are securing the system because they have all the money now. I mean, guys, put this in. But again, this is about as uh, uh, likely as aliens coming to Earth, as Joe said. So I will agree with him on that point today. But let's make sure that we're prepared for when aliens come to Earth. Is that fair? Thanks so much. I should shut up, and I'm going to try to, I promise, for the next 35 minutes. <laughs> you so, so Alex, good luck. Good the luck. Reasons we Alex, the, 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 difficult, the difficulty with your Tesla shares is your Tesla shares are just a, a digit in, the, in your Morgan Stanley account, and Morgan Stanley is probably BK. So... <laughs> You know, you might have a customer who wants to buy Tesla shares. It's until that whole system gets running again properly, it's going to be, you know, I mean, you could maybe write a legal contract and say you agree to sell me your shares once the con once things get going again at XYZ price. But there's going to be no ability to move those shares around. And, you know, Greg is absolutely right. I mean, in, in a complete fiat collapse, the world goes back to barter for a very brief time generally, but it does. And, and that's why some of us own, you know, thousands and thousands of silver coins. And, and the reason for that is that the silver coin is very, everyone knows what it one is, tend to be worth about 20 bucks today. And my guess is that's a stake or, a get, you know, maybe a tank of gasoline or, or whatever in a, in, a, in a true barter economy where the ATMs aren't working. So, you know, I mean, there's an argument 
I mean, they're, you know, preppers have thought all this stuff through and, you know, the people who've stored food and, you know, guns and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, it's not entirely crazy. I mean, it's a tail event, but I'm, I'm a higher probability on this than Greg is, um, you know, because I, having studied history, I've seen how it's happened in many places and, and, and watching, I mean, if I, if I had more confidence in our leadership, I, I, I drop my probabilities, but I have zero confidence in the leadership. I don't think they even have a clue what's going on. And okay, so, so let's, it could happen why don't quickly. We, Right. Why don't we pivot here? Yeah, so I agree. Like, I don't know, we should be dedicating that much time to this tail event, low, very low probability thing. I think it's, it was valuable to walk through it as a mental exercise, though, and to let people know that even if all this shit does happen, Bitcoin's still going to work, guys. Just saying. Uh, and it will be there. And I think it will be a simple way for people to shift very rapidly uh, into, an, into an economic system or rails that will still work. So let's go with um, Peter, and then uh, let's change the topic to let's walk it back from okay, that's major doomsday scenario, very low probability of occurring. What do you guys see as likely probabilities of occurring over the next six months, year, five years? Peter first, and then we'll hit that next topic. That was a, a great transition, Alex. First of all, Greg, I was agreeing with you um, as far as the their assets thing. I was just trying to say that they're not there to do it. So I agree with you 100% on that. And I, I agree with everything everybody said on stage. Um, my question, Alex, is when we talk about this this rapid migration to uh, to Bitcoin, you know, it's taken all of us. A long time to understand Bitcoin to get to the point where we're like, okay, you know, this thing works, this thing is real. My question is, is when we talk about the potential of mass adoption um, in a very fast kind of manner, certainly in the United States, um, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if people would gravitate to that as quickly because of the learning curve that is that is required. So you know, maybe I'm off base there. I don't know. Um, are you talking about in the scenarios about. we were discussing? Or are you talking about a mass adoption scenario? Because those are two different things. One is a collapse. Um, one is the, a mass adoption. The, 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 I was thinking about the collapse one. I was like, God, I wonder. I wonder if people would gravitate to it if they well, just go, okay, okay it let works. Me, let me draw a scenario for you. If that does in fact occur, and if what we're saying does occur, and the bit the price of Bitcoin goes ballistic straight up, basically, because because people's time and energy are pouring into it, right? There's this saying, price action creates market action, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, what if the price is 100,000? Do you think people are going to pay attention to it? What if the price is a million? What if the price is 5 million? What if the price is 50 million? Do you think people are going to pay attention? Do you think they need to know how it works to just look at the price and go, well, fuck, my dollars, I need to spend $100,000 to buy one egg. But the price of Bitcoin in US dollars has gone absolutely ballistic do you think people need to know how it works for them to start going well shit i, I probably ought to start getting some bitcoin damn i, I can't that question was rhetorical well or i can't even not stay five minutes without talking alex it's too late to buy insurance when your fucking house is already burning you have to own it before the house is burning <laughs> no 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 no. i agree with you i agree with you so don't worry about oh, when people, oh, how do they buy it though how do they buy it I agree with you to the point that, um, yes, you're correct. It depends on the price, right? You know, so I'm going to be make it easy. How of many like, of those eggs? How many eggs? How much is a dozen eggs? So you said each egg was twelve uh, was a hundred thousand dollars. So that means a dozen eggs is 
$1.2 million, okay? What's Bitcoin trading at? And there is your pairs trade, okay? You do a cross with, here's your dozen eggs, sir. How many sats do I give you that are worth 1.2 million ancient things called U.S. dollars right. because they're no longer? So, Can we so change the I subject? Agree. Thanks. Let's change the subject, I agree. please. First of all, well, this is an important thing. People need to think this through. I want to change the subject too, but this is an important thing to think through. This is that I agree that... Um, what you're saying is that you should buy the insurance before you need the insurance because you'll get the most value out of the insurance that way. I 100% agree with that. But what I'm saying is back to first principles. People still need to eat. People still need to do things. People are still going to do things and provide services to others, right? If they demand to be paid in Bitcoin, even if it's just a couple of sets, see, the, the numbers... When you start getting into these kind of like scenarios, the numbers get so skewed, it's impossible to wrap your brain around it. It doesn't like the, all of the signal gets blown way the hell out of proportion, right? But what if the guy, what if you have a broken toilet and you still need to, to use the toilet and the guy that's going to come to fix the toilet is willing to do that for, let's call it 5,000 sets. You see what I'm saying? So it'll still, I think it'll still happen. And the Lightning Network and Lightning Wallets will enable that, Alex, because the onboarding for Lightning Wallets and Lightning Network is now. The question is: Is will the liquidity be there in the Lightning Network? That's the sure there will be. Like, dude, the markets are not going to stop, and and it 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 will fix itself. You understand? Like, if if all of this liquidity is pouring into Lightning, don't you think more Lightning nodes are going to get spun up? Don't you think the holders of Bitcoin? Yep who have the advantage of holding the Bitcoin, providing the capital to lightning transaction systems, aren't going to apply Bitcoin to that? Of course, that's what's going to happen. To your point, Alex, just like that, people seeing the, the average pleb, seeing the number continually going up, the average person in Bitcoin already is going to see that as well and start spinning up more nodes, you know, more, more layer two 100%. nodes, et cetera. It's just going to, it's going to, it's going to self-correct. Just it aligns all the incentives. Everyone's incentivized to harden the system more and more the further it goes up. All right. I think we put that to bed. Uh, unless anybody has any final stuff, let's move on to things that have a higher probability chance of occurring. <laughs> Much higher probability. Um, over the next, I'd like to hear from all of you guys. Over the next six months, one year, five years, what do you see happening with what kind of probabilities that are much higher than the crazy scenarios we were just discussing. Jeff, we haven't heard from you in a bit. You want to go first? Hey, sure. This has been an awesome conversation. I've just been listening for the last 40 minutes or so. So I'll tell you one is that um, Greg is right, that uh, as a person who personally had his house burned down in a fire uh, back in 2012, you do need to own your fire insurance before it burns down. Otherwise, you're hosed. Um, and then two, if we do have a collapse of a fiat system, and we see that all around the world, right? In Lebanon, in, in South America, it's happening. It's in Africa, it happens on kind of a routine basis. What happens? People instantly, as quickly as possible, flock into sound money and hard assets. And so you, if you see stuff coming, the, the people who are the first movers are the, are the ones who win. And Bitcoiners, I think, become basically the new bankers uh, in, the, in the new system. So anyways... Moving on, what do I see? Crystal ball stuff. This is all nonsense, right? Because I'm just guessing and um, nobody knows the future and none of this is financial advice. Um, like I said, we can come all the way back to, I think I think in the, in the next six months or so, it's hard to say 
clearly. But right now, risk assets continue to be in this kind of bullish trend. I think it's because of this sort of generally increase of liquidity uh, happening around the world, especially in Asia, China, Japan in particular. In the U.S., our, our uh, liquidity is, is flat, like we had talked about earlier. Um, some of that liquidity is going to flow into international assets. So Bitcoin being the world's freest market, uh, I think, is catching a bid because of that. Uh, Treasury rates have been increasing. I think that they're basically near their peak uh, this this cycle because the, the Fed funds rate, I don't think, goes uh, higher than five and a half percent. Uh, probably, and I think in the second half of the of 2023, it's clear that disinflation will speed up. Why? Because of owner's equivalent rent, which is about half of the CPI calculation, uh, is basically what did the housing market do about a year ago? Uh, so about a year ago, it peaked and it started rolling over. Uh, that will directly impact the CPI, and it will be meaningful as we've watched the housing prices come down materially uh, in the U.S. Uh, over the last year or so. Um, that will soon be reflected in the CPI. So I think by the end of the year, CPI is much lower. Uh, people don't care about inflation at that point. All I care about is, are we going to have a credit event? Because if a credit event happens, the, then the floor drops out under risk assets. Then we get the hard landing that people are talking about. Then the Fed steps in and they absolutely are in panic mode and they massively and quickly start lowering rates, right? That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing in the short term. That means they're panicking. They're trying to provide stability to the credit markets. Um, that's the worst case scenario. That would be equivalent to sort of the fourth quarter of 2008, first quarter of 2009, uh, which was, if anybody lived through that, was a pretty scary time before things finally based and stabilized. And it took a couple of years for people to believe that we had stabilized, by the way. Uh, so the fear can last for a long time, even though the uh, risk markets uh, tend to uh, respond favorably after that. Um, or maybe we do actually have kind of a softer landing. Maybe we have kind of a mild recession. It's actually possible. We could be in a sort of a dot-com uh, post-boom uh, uh, situation where basically the U.S. economy had only a mild recession, but the extremely overvalued tech sector uh, just got decimated for basically three straight years. It went down about 85% from its peaks. Um, I think something similar is actually happening this time around. I think this decade in general, everything that worked really, really well last decade, like the FANG stocks, right? Kathy Woods, ARC, Tesla, those kind of things. I think those are in big trouble this time around, because I think inflation is going to be volatile. And even if we, we cure it in the short term, I think it will probably come roaring back for bigger structural reasons. So I think we're going to be dealing with inflation for much of this decade. Uh, similar to the 2000s, similar to the 1970s, uh, I think that hard assets will win. I think value is going to do much better than growth from an equities perspective. I think uh, sound money is going to do very well. So I would personally, uh, you know, have some uh, significant exposure to Bitcoin. I also think Larry's right that gold will do well, silver possibly as well. Uh, hard assets like real estate and then commodities, right? Most people don't think about investing in commodities, but lumber uh, copper, uh, steel, those kind of things, um, they, they can tend to do pretty well. If we have an inflationary environment, they tend to do well while lots of stocks languish. And I think bonds are going to be extremely volatile and trade mostly sideways for much of this decade and basically from a real return uh, perspective. So nominal gains minus inflation, I think you're actually going to lose money holding bonds for most of this decade. So that's kind of my general short-term and long-term overview. That was great, Jeff. I'll go next. Um, I agree with most of that. I, I, I think the stock market, I, I, it's funny because you used to be so bearish and <laughs> now you're actually a little bit less bearish. I am extraordinarily bearish on the stock market. 
I, I don't see how the stock market is where it is. I mean, we've got, you know, the, the third bursting bubble in the last 20 some odd years. And, um, you know, the CAPE ratio is incredibly stretched and we're down 20% off the high when you've got, you know, rising rates and really built in inflation that while I, I agree with you, it will get softer later this year, you know, the labor component of it's not going to let it get that soft. And so they're already talking about refining the target up to three or 4%. So I think the stock market is going to go down sometime this year and, and down pretty hard. And I think that's what's going to lead to the Fed pivot. Um, and then I think when the Fed pivots um, and, and their variations on the pivot, as James pointed out, you know, they, they start by pausing and then ultimately they cut and then ultimately they go to QE. Um, our stuff's just going to go bananas. And, um, you know, we, we clearly are in a different world. Uh, we are in an inflationary world. Zoltan Posner's done a lot of great work on this. I agree. Commodities are the place to be. Hard assets are the place to be. Things aren't going to work. And, um, you know, if I had if I was long U.S. stocks, I would be I would be out of that position. I think they're they're almost as bad as U.S. bonds. Um, you know, the, we, we are in an inflationary world. And the other thing that I think a lot of people aren't really focusing on uh, is is are the war drums. I mean, the war drums are really starting to get louder and war is extraordinarily inflationary. And we've already sent 200 billion dollars to the Ukraine. And, you know, that kind of stuff's going to continue. It's going to get worse. And, um, you know, so to me, it's it's a no brainer to be heavily allocated into assets that benefit from inflation. And that's kind of where I am. I'll give you a zero probability outcome. Foss is not going to comment. OK, so that's a zero probability outcome because I am going to comment even though I said I won't. All right. Here you go. I love you, Jeff, because. I think a high probability event is a collapse of a systemically important financial institution. There's tremendous risk in the system from undercapitalized big names like Credit Suisse. You're seeing a bank run happen in real time here, people, just out of the wealth management division, though. But that all dovetails nicely with our conversation on counterparty risk and where your assets are custodied. Jeff, you mentioned commodities, but you didn't mention oil. Like, oil is the most important commodity for the world. And its price, according to a very good report that I read on a daily basis called the Bear Traps Report, is, in their opinion, highly likely to exceed $100 US per barrel. And that could be a combination of two things. It could be a combination of a weakening US dollar which means it takes more U.S. dollars to buy the same barrel of oil. Or here's a pairs trade, Bitcoin versus oil. I don't want to go there right now, but you talk about pairs trades that are going to happen when the U.S. dollar collapses. Bitcoin versus gold, Bitcoin versus oil, Bitcoin versus hard assets. Okay, so right now everyone's saying, oh, equities look like a, you know, they're rich and they absolutely are rich, Larry. But for all those equity knuckleheads out there, or bonds versus equities. For a while, there has been no alternative. There's TINA. Equities were the TINA. Growth equities were the TINA because rates were so low that when you have a zero discount rate, you have infinite valuations of cash flow. So that's why the long duration assets like tech stocks had such a bid, but they are not cheap. So I agree with Larry. But perhaps to wrap this up with a nice little bow, the U.S. military uses 
one million barrels of oil a day. Okay? That's 1% of the total 100 million barrels of oil a day that the globe consumes. The USA military uses 1% of it. And people who say Bitcoin is an environmental catastrophe fail to understand that the US military is the single largest consumer of defending the US petrodollar. So wrapping this all up in a nice little bow, when the system starts to crater, they have to cut rates. When they cut rates, the Dixie perhaps is still the best looking horse at the glue factory, but it doesn't matter. It is all based on melting ice cube fiat money. And you will go back to a hard asset based barter system, which could be Bitcoin for oil, Bitcoin for gold. Hey, Alex, Bitcoin for your dozen eggs. A dozen eggs are trading at $1.2 million, according to your $100,000 per egg valuation. That's how the new economy comes out. And the thing that rises to the top is Bitcoin because it's transferable, portable, verifiable, and all that other stuff that makes it the soundest form of money ever. So you can think of it as money. You can think of it as information. You can think of it as insurance. You can think of it as anything you want. But if you own zero Bitcoin, you are a knucklehead. And I mean, you can get more than 4,000 sats for one cut buck. There's no excuse to no Bitcoin. Alex, how many eggs is that? I, I chuckle and let's not do the math, okay? But at the end of the day, this is exactly what happens. And resets happen and global resets happen. And sometimes they happen with kinetic force and sometimes they happen with soft wars okay all of this to say i'm trying to be an optimist here none of this doom and gloom talk i want to happen jeff you and i want the world to be a better place larry you want the world to be a better place so we're pitching bitcoin perhaps as you know doomsday insurance but god it can be so much more than doomsday insurance it could actually be the 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 lighthouse the shining light that brings us across the bridge because we have these policymakers that have no idea how we are dancing on the head of a pin right now. So a systemically important financial institution, Jeff, I think happens within the next 100 basis point of hiking, taking us from 45 to 5.5% in your view. I think there's a high likelihood of a systemically important financial institution failing and the Fed rushing to provide liquidity to the market. And then, hey, that's when you have to calculate your proper pairs trade. And that's when Bitcoin becomes the lifeboat or insurance or 12, you know, a dozen eggs for how many sats, Alex? This is why I own Bitcoin. But I'm not all in Bitcoin. Neither is Larry, neither is Jeff, because we are risk managers who know that you need the insurance, but you don't have to have 100% of your assets in that insurance to participate in the asymmetric upside in both a doom and gloom scenario as well as an optimistic scenario when none of this doom and gloom comes true. But let's just say the USA adopts Bitcoin as a reserve asset to protect themselves against all this fiat tomfoolery. Oh my goodness, good world, no war, no banking system collapse. In fact, a banking system that is finally built on concrete rather than built on sand. Thanks so much for having awesome. me, guys.
let's uh let's do this so you guys open up uh if we open it up for questions i'm sure the audience has tons of questions um are you guys cool with that sure all right let's go if you're up here on the panel and you uh, have questions for these guys let's see some hands if you're in the audience you want to come up and ask a question go ahead and request to come up we'll bring you up we'll be kind i promise you can ask a question in our telegram group at t.me forward slash cafe bitcoin club we'll start out with peter go ahead so I'm going to say for the for the last, I don't know, at least the last three, four months, we've been in this um, period where, you know, I, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. Sorry. There's two adages that I know of in the market. One is don't fight the tape and one is don't fight the Fed. And I have never seen an era like this where we have been um, with these two things opposing each other for so long. And I'm just curious to know, you know, what you guys think about this and and where you think it ends up. Well, I kind of touched on this earlier, but maybe I didn't make it super clear. But I, I think what, what we're seeing right now, basically since February 2nd, is the market started worrying again about sticky inflation. They started, And so what happens is we went back to the 2022 playbook in essence. So bond yields were rising. The dollar strengthened. Risk assets uh, got get hit hard, and but but differently this time, Bitcoin didn't get hit. Right, it's been drifting higher, which is which is pretty impressive. Um, and so I think again, based on like the stuff I look at, that we are getting close to a peak in bond rates at at these uh, yields that they're currently at. When I'm talking bond rates, I mean Treasuries specifically. Um, and that and that dollar uh, is likely to the dollar strength we've been seeing in the short term, basically, again, for the month of February, I think that starts to drift lower. I think yields start to drift lower again. And I think people start talking again about the Fed pause rally. I think the narrative will shift here. Uh, and we may we, are, we may already be seeing that like uh, at the end of February. But I think as we head into March, April, I again, I'm as concerned as Larry and Foss are about a credit event. I just think it, it may be a little further out. Like, I don't think we're necessarily heading into one right now. I think it may be, you know, late spring, uh, summertime somewhere where we have an event like that. But but of course, I could be wrong. And I probably am wrong. So you're leaning towards don't fight the tape. I think it all goes hand to me. This the it all makes sense actually, right? I think the Fed is doing what they're doing. They're 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 telegraphing what they're going to do. They've been very open about it. I think they are going to get up to five point uh, two five or five and a half unless a credit event happens before that. And uh, and I just think that's the game plan. So so it's not fighting the Fed, but the markets front run that right. They know that when the Fed pauses, risk assets generally catch a bid. That's historically the precedent. Uh, you can look back at basically every rate hike cycle and see that happen. Uh, and so they catch a bid until something breaks. So the FOSS credit event that we keep alluding to, at some point, if and when that happens, that's when the panic starts and that's when the Fed starts to do massive quantitative easing. Uh, but bef but in that during that time period, it's chaos, it's tumultuousness, it's the floor drops out under risk assets and it's scary. So. I, I think we're. I think the trend is clear that even though we've had this February pullback, we're still seeing a, a, a legitimate bid in risk assets that I think is related to liquidity uh, pumping into the system, and I think that will last as, as long until this credit event happens. All right, let's go with Raybon. Good morning, Raybon. Do you have a question or a comment? I'm just concerned if I go into international waters, will I be safe in this whole meltdown scenario? Because I don't know about you, Alex. The uh, mental health situation on the ground in the uh, 50 states has become quite untenable. You know, I got a caviar shipment coming in. So, you know, I'm, I'm all frazzled over here down, down in Virginia. I, I can understand your concern, Raybon. 
I'm not sure about the answer to your question about if we go into international waters or not, but uh, I do share your concerns. The piracy has just gotten unreal. I mean, the inflation, you know, piracy is up. For sure. Okay. Uh, Neo, do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, thank you, Alex. Great show. Thank you. I grew up in Latin America, in Argentina, so I think uh, I, I hear a lot of talk about inflation, fiat. You mentioned even Argentina by name. My suggestion is, uh, I think everybody is very smart, beyond smart in this audience, but one day just invite someone from Nigeria, someone from Argentina, someone from Venezuela, because what are you guys discussing? They live there every day. They've been living it for decades. So they probably can add into the conversation from, because one thing is knowing that it may happen. The other thing is when you experience it, your parents experience it. So you may have a different perspective. That's one thing. The other thing with false, I love false. I've changed some uh, comments on Twitter. I love the fact that you are one of the OGs that actually reply to plebs like me, because sometimes others, uh, I guess they have a feed so large that they don't have a time to go over every comment. But false is one of the ones that I applaud you because you always take the time to respond. So what I'm saying false is, and I think you replied to this once, is the problem that I have with the th your thesis, and I think it's true, right? But the, the reason why it may not be so appealing to the non, um, you know, I mean, to the common Joe is that I see insurance, and I think a lot of people see it the same way, as mostly a waste of money. I mean, I understand that when you have fire insurance, uh, you love it because it saves your, your house, but... For the most part, we have a negative to, uh, feeling towards insurance, and we're always like, are we overpaying for insurance? Do I really need my home insurance? I don't have a mortgage now, so I'm going through that process. I don't have a mortgage now, so do I really need to pay all this stuff that they, are, they, they used to force me, the banks? So I'm going through that exercise now, and I always have like the insurance, uh, a negative connotation. Do I really need this? Like It's almost like a feeling that there's if the event doesn't happen, it doesn't have any value. But I understand that you're saying that it has a premium. The premium has value. But I think 95% of the people don't understand that. So I think if in your thesis, I understand the thesis. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see the value. But I think it has to be a little bit more adapted to the common Joe like me. Uh, just my, my two sons. Well, thank you, Neil. Um... I appreciate your valuable feedback. And, um, you know, being from Argentina, um, I, you, you, I, if I understood correctly, you're from Argentina. Um, uh, you know, Argentina has defaulted four times in my career. Uh, I, I traded Argentina bonds many times. Uh, the banks I worked for owned Argentina and Argentina loans, but let, let's come back to your argument, uh, or not your argument, your observation. Uh, if I can defend myself a little, in my defense, I am trying to convince the risk managers out there that are professional risk managers that are managing huge portfolios of assets that understand what insurance is. They either trade credit default swaps or they have a limited understanding of credit protection and that credit runs the world. Um, 
your feedback is very valuable though, because you know your insurance is never valuable. Uh, let's use fire insurance until your house burns down, and then you really wish you owned it if you didn't have it. And you could argue you're a poor risk manager if you didn't have it, right? But here's what I would say: the reason I use CDS, it's this simple, sir. I use CDS because I can come up for an intrinsic value of Bitcoin based on the credit default swap spread, which is an open market spread multiplied by the outstanding debt of any country, funded plus unfunded debt, like I tried to run through with Joe on my example. And I'll make more those examples more prevalent because they tend to get very good hits on Twitter or lots of views. It's very simple. You can run through the math and see how how much Bitcoin should be trading for if it truly was valued as fiat insurance. That's because I'm mathematically inclined. Otherwise, if I turn you off by saying insurance, I apologize. My market is the big money managers, but I will respond to you anytime. And thank you for your uh, your support, uh, everybody. Thank yeah, you. I hear you, Greg. Just one one other comment. I'll be very brief. I, I hear you and I appreciate your, and I, I understand the type of audience that you're talking to. But on Twitter, you know, when you send a Twitter, everybody reads it. And I think if you add a, a quick disclaimer, as you do for the kids, just put another one on the top for the um, risk manager or something like that, when it's a tweet about that, because by if. Oh, Neil, cut out. Damn, did I miss him? Hey, Neil, if you're still listening, okay, you're, I love uh, you. Oh, go, 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 go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm, I'm back. I, I think a call was coming in. Okay. So what I'm saying is, like, for the regular Joe reading, like, this has a 1% chance of happening, I'm like, this is not happening, dude. I mean, what am I... Well, okay, we can do gonna, the same math on Argentina, gonna, though, too. We're going to move on. Yeah, um, we can um, do the same math on Argentina. It's much higher, as you know. We're going to move on. I'm going to say one thing and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Neo, I do appreciate you coming up, man. Every time people come up here, I do appreciate the feedback and, and what you guys are sharing. The thing that, that people need to remember is, is that everyone has different objectives. Okay. This, I hear this all the time nowadays. People are constantly in DMs or Twitter or whatever. Everybody's trying to get everybody else to talk about the things that they think are the most important because we all have a lens that we're looking at the world through. And you need to understand that people all have their own objectives. Like on this show, my objective is, this is the mission, to orange pill the next 7 billion people if possible, to get the message out to as many people as possible. Mass adoption. Some people are pissed off because I don't talk about self-custody enough, or I don't talk about nodes enough, or I don't talk about your particular brand of what you fucking think is the most important thing in the world. I am sorry if I don't talk about the thing that's most important to you. That's not my mission. So I hope you can respect that. All right. I respect that you have something that's most important to you. That's cool. That's fine. All right. Same thing is true for every single person in Twitter who talks about anything. Everybody wants to talk to either Larry or Greg or whomever and be like, hey, you don't talk about this thing enough. You don't talk about that thing enough. And the thing you do talk about is not important to me. And it's like, it's important to somebody, right? Everybody appeals to different people. The things that I say appeal to some people and really pisses other people off. I get it. Some people hate me. That's okay. I'm not mad about that. Some people love Tomer who don't get me so much. We need all, we need everybody here to do this thing. That's all I'm going to say about that. We got one more question and then we're going to wrap the show. We'll let you, these guys make some closing comments. Sean, welcome up. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me up. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love joining in these conversations and, you know, uh, all the things that are important to everybody else aren't necessarily the most important to me, but they're important to inform uh, every other perspective, I think, because uh, it all meshes together, of course. So for me, my focus and where I'm directing my energy is through circular economy uh, development. You know, I've gotten hooked up with the beef initiative that you mentioned earlier. I get all my beef from them. Um, eggs is my next mission. And I think I found a way through the OSHI app. So uh, a shout out and a plug there for OSHI app. That's a great way to find local businesses that are willing to take Bitcoin or a way to buy gift cards for those local businesses with Bitcoin and support them. And I just feel like that's, uh, you know, we need to stack and that's all great. But if we don't get this moving around and establish these networks before this dystopian future we were talking about earlier, we'll really be screwed. So that's my focus. And, you know, I'm trying to do what I can within construction uh, I would love it if my rancher would hire me, you know, to come down and do some work for him uh, and, and get some of those stats back that I gave him uh, for beef. So that's all. Thanks for having me up. Hey, brother. You, if any, by the way, anybody who has a business, a legit business, you have a website, a business license, all that other kind of stuff. If you're a professional CPA, lawyer, tradesman, um, somebody who helps people do custody, farmer, beef producer, whatever, and we're we're putting together a directory where Bitcoiners can buy things from Bitcoiners. So we want to help with that. Um, by we, I mean not me. Uh, the, the engineers at Swan who are much smarter than I am, who do all this kind of heavy lifting stuff. Like, shoot me a DM. Happy to connect you with those guys, and we'll get you on that. When we have a, a sort of a critical mass of, of people on there, we're going we're gonna to launch that live. Thank you for what you do, Sean. I think that that's incredibly important. Let's go around and get like one or two minutes from each one of you guys. Closing comments, and then we'll wrap the show. Why don't we start with uh, Jeff? Hey, it's been a great show. Super interesting, wide ranging. Thanks for having me up. Love talking to these guys. And um, yeah, I love actually, Sean, what you just said at the end. I'm all about that. I think that's awesome. People who are building the Bitcoin circular economy, I think are laying the foundation for this new world and living on a Bitcoin standard. So I couldn't uh, agree with that more and applaud that more. And I think uh, hopefully more people will do the same because that's the uh, that's the lifeboat, right? That's the way out if this fiat system does collapse, what, regardless of what country you're in. You need to have that fiat circular economy, uh, excuse me, that Bitcoin circular economy. So uh, bravo to you guys. And thanks for having me up today, Alex. Thanks for being here, man. Mr. Greg Foss, two minutes. No comment. You've heard enough from me. Thanks for everything I learned on your show. Thanks for being here, buddy. Larry, General Lepard, take us home. Any closing comments? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for including me. Great conversation today. Enjoyed being a part of it. Um, I'm with you. Let's just all stay on the mission. You know, let's uh, let's orange pill everybody we can. Uh, it's going to make a big difference in the future to the people that we're able to convert. So that's that's my focus. Orange pilling everybody. Awesome. I want to thank you guys one more time for being here. People love when you guys show up like it, it shows up. I mean, I'm not just saying that to, to blow smoke like it shows up in our numbers, like the most people show up for macro strategy. It's uh you guys are awesome. People love hearing what you guys have to say, apparently. So uh, thanks for being here. We're going to, uh, one more thing before we close out here. Again, um, we've got a new episode of um, Hard Money with Nat Brunel. Check it out this afternoon on uh, the Swan YouTube channel. And that's a wrap. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. The place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is a live show that we do on Twitter Spaces. 
every day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, rolling for two hours. We talk about all kinds of things having to do with Bitcoin. Sometimes, yes, we do talk about self-custody. Sometimes we talk about other things. We try to hit all of it. We try to keep it um, fresh as much as possible. Everybody wants to hear about their particular brand and what they think is most important. We try, to, we try to do that, guys. But the overall objective, as I have already stated, is to try to reach as many people as possible. This is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple if you can't catch a live show. Thanks to, to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, Ant, Peter Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, you can shoot me a DM, and I am happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers who come up here today and every day to teach people about this bright orange future. We appreciate what you guys do. We admire what you guys do. Spending your personal time. Nobody pays these people to do this. They just do it because they believe in this thing. That's what we call getting on the mission. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day. Pleasure.